Galatians chapter 5 tonight, if you want to find your place there. Galatians 5 is where we're going to be. Galatians 5. And I'm going to start our reading in verse 22 tonight. And we'll go through the end of the chapter. So the Bible says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also then walk in the Spirit. And let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for a great day. Time that we've had together, Lord, for the music. Lord, just to be able to lift our hearts to you today. And then, Lord, to engage one another and to love each other. Lord, I pray that as we look at this thought, you'd speak to our hearts and that we'd be better um, at expressing that love toward each other through the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives as you grow each of us. And I pray that we would find application uh, in our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Galatians was written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. So it wasn't necessarily targeted towards one specific church, but to, to church is. In the Christian movement, as it was growing, this was after Christ had died, gone to heaven, the disciples are preaching, the, the Christian movement is growing, and there became, there came a point where there were as many non-Jews or Gentiles in the church as there were Jews. Well, that created some tension for a lot of them because there were a lot of debates that began to spark uh, between those that were Jews and then those that were the non-Jews. So the non-Jews didn't practice the Torah the Old Testament law, the way that the Jews would have practiced. And the Jews were still struggling to fully understand the gospel and the freedom that was found in Christ. And so they began to take some of the Torah and some of the things that they were taught in the Old Testament and, and draw them into the New Testament era and that new dispensation of grace. And they were teaching them like you have to be circumcised and you have to do these things in the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And the Gentiles are like, that's not what Paul preached. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Peter's telling us. And so all of a sudden there was this really big controversy. And, and then to add insult to injury. So here they have this doctrinal error being taught. And, there, and there's this division in the church. They start to, to treat each other poorly. And so they're, they're starting to talk bad about each other. Uh, they start talking bad to each other. And, 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 and we know how this goes. It's not sometimes the things that we even say, but it's the way that we look at each other and the way that we avoid one another or the things we might say in private. And all of a sudden, there's just this massive tension that exists and that existed in these churches. And so Paul is writing here to correct theological error, but he's also writing to correct uh, relational error too because of the mistreatment of how they were going about these issues. And so Paul's heart is broken, and many of these issues are even recorded in Acts chapter 15. If you go there, you can see some of the theological discussion that was going on behind the scenes. And in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians, Paul talks about the gospel and the crucifixion of Christ. And he makes sure that they understand that people are justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and they don't have to do anything else. They just have to believe. And that's what matters more than anything. We live by faith in the, in, the, in the Son of God who loved us and He gave Himself for us and that's enough. The Torah doesn't save. Nothing we do saves. 
In chapters 3 and 4, he begins to explain to the children of Israel that God's intention was always to have a bigger family that was multi-ethnic, that was bigger than just Israel. It was his intent to favor the children of Israel and work through them to reach the whole world. Many of the Jews are saying, no, 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 you can't be part of the family of God because we're his chosen people. This is a closed group. God says no. And Paul is telling them no. God wants to work through you to reach the world. And so he talks about this. In chapters 5 and 6 then, once he's dealt with this theological error, now he turns his attention to specifically the relationships in the church. And the people that love God, that know God, that are saved by the Holy Spirit of God, those people should be transformed and different in the way that they behave and act and treat each other. The laws of the Old Testament, the Torah, they're good and wise. There's some good things there to do, but they don't give power to obey. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf, and He now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And because of that power, we are new creatures in Christ. We are literally new. We're born again. We're new human beings. Because of Him living inside of us, there's a life there that didn't exist before. And if you're a child of God, you have a supernatural power that resides literally within you. But, but, you still have that old humanity, don't you? <laughs> he ain't dead yet. He will be someday, but he is still very much alive. And so while the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, so does that old flesh. And he doesn't go away easily, and it's a dreadful thing. Because that old flesh has a tendency to dehumanize and hurt other people. Destroys relationships. Destroys communities and families and churches and nations. In chapter 5, and I want you to look there with me, Paul says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and he goes on, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And he says, of, which, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't do these things. This is unbecoming a child of God. We're different, we're unique, and he transitions and pivots from the old flesh and the things that we would do by our sin nature. Just because Jesus Christ lives inside of you doesn't mean that old flesh is dead and it's not a struggle. And so he says, look, no, 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 no. Don't walk in that. Don't fulfill that flesh. He says, submit yourselves and yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, that produces something entirely different. Instead of envyings and murders and, and, and strife and anger and all lasciviousness and all these things, he says, when we rely on the Holy Spirit of God, that which is produced in us, now verse 22, now we have love. Now we have joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. We are full of faith and meekness and, and, and temperance. And so as we literally yield ourselves to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, He reshapes the way that we think. He, he redoes the wiring inside of our minds so that all of a sudden, as we're connected to Him in the way that Jesus explained to us in John chapter 15, He said, I am the vine and you're the branches. And as you stay connected to me, the life that's in me will flow into you. 
But when we get separated from him, we're going back to the flesh. He says, stay connected to me. And, and all of a sudden, these fruits will be produced inside of your life. He reshapes us. And we fulfill not the Old Testament law of Moses, but the New Testament law of Jesus Christ. So look at chapter 6, verse 2, just a few verses later. It says, bear ye one another's burdens. This is the New Testament law. And so fulfill, what does he say there? The law, not of the Torah, not of Moses, not of the Old Testament, not the Ten Commandments. He says, this is the new law, bearing each other's burdens. That's fulfilling the law of Jesus Christ. And so how we interact with each other, it matters. And the whole context of this passage, the fruits of the Spirit are wonderful things that benefit us in every area of life. But the direct application of them is the relationships inside of the New Testament church. But the churches in Galatia area were at odds with each other. There was strife in the membership. They were talking bad. They were being critical. They were thinking bad. They were acting bad. You know, when it comes to interpersonal conflict, there are a lot of really good solutions out there. There are some incredible course, courses you can take. I've, I've taken some of them. There's some incredible books. I have some in my library on conflict resolution and anger management and these types of things, and they're wonderful to read. But nothing beats God's Word and His solution. And all of those principles that are true and right, they all point back to His Word. And so the answer to what these people needed is found in the verses following the fruit of the Spirit. Peace in the church is important. Unity is important. If the church doesn't have unity and peace, and if the people inside the church aren't loving one another and treating each other in the way that the fruits of the Spirit instruct us with love and kindness and gentleness and goodness and temperance and faith and meekness and all these things and joy, if that's not present here, what hope do we have of reaching the world? What hope is there for a lost person to look and say, you guys are different and I want in and I'm going to listen to what you say if those things are absent? And Paul's heart is grieved here. And he says, hold on a second. Let's look at the solution. And so the first one is simply this. In our personal lives, we are to ruthlessly deal with our sin I can't deal with your sin. There's nothing I can do about it. That's between you and God. I can deal with my sin and you can deal with your sin. And if we all deal with our sin, boy, this place is going to be a better place. The churches in Galatia would be a better place. And so look at verse 24 with me once more. He says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Sin is an incredibly destructive force in our lives. It negatively affects every relationship we have. There's a book by Cornelius Platinga. He's a university professor. He wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be a Brevery of Sin. And this is a book I have read and reread. I want to read just a, a, a two paragraphs here, so humor me if you will, because he communicates these thoughts in such a succinct and powerful way. He says, Sin distorts our character, a central fig feature of our very humanity. Sin corrupts powerful human capacities, thought, emotion, speech, and act, so that it becomes centers of attack on others, or of defection, or of neglect. 
not just what we do, but what we don't do. He's just bad enough if we offend others involuntarily by boorish insensitivity to their feelings. For example, or by an alienating, alienating form of complacency. We may not want these character flaws. In fact, we might, may not even know that we have them. But if our victims know that we have hurt them consciously, deliberately, even serenely, then their attitude toward us is not merely rueful as it would normally be if we had harmed them by accident. Their attitude is not just sorrowful as it normally is when nature catches people in its great machinery. Instead, our victims face us indignantly, indignantly, for they know we have violated them with something powerful and peculiarly personal. We have willingly hurt them. We have done it on purpose. That's what sin does. That's what was happening inside of these churches. Sin perverts the goodness that we are supposed to be expressing toward one another. It causes us to withhold love. It ruins joy. It axes out temperance. There is no mercy and there is no grace in sin. We devise and we execute relational fraud toward each other. We disrespect and deem less those who are not as sophisticated or intelligent or smart as ourselves. And we mistreat them in the way we talk to them, the way we look at them, and the way that we, we, we act around them. We evoke grief and consternation in their hearts. Sin affects the relationships in our own lives. It also affects relationship with self. Sin lies at the root of our own miseries like loneliness and restlessness and estrangement and shame and struggling with thoughts of meaninglessness. It affects our relationship with God. Perhaps more than any other thing, this is the most egregious of all. That vital connection that we have with the vine, with Jesus Christ, where His life flows through us and, and, and where meaning comes from. It disrupts that connection and that vital flow from Him. And it has to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with in the most severe of ways. And if we would belong to Christ and live the kind of life He intends, then Paul says this, then how about this? Crucify the flesh. When the Jews cried out for Jesus to be crucified, here He was before Pontius Pilate. Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, this common criminal, or Jesus, who's done no wrong? And they say, Jesus, and they say, we want His blood. And then they say this, crucify Him. Why crucifixion? Why not just kill him? M murder him would be a better word. Why not just execute him? Well, for this reason, they wanted to destroy the power and the ruling influence that he possessed in the hearts of the men and women who were his followers. So this wasn't just about killing him and making him go away. It was about associating him like a common criminal like what he's done is, is horrible crime. And we want to eradicate the influence he has in those who are following him. So they didn't just kill him. They crucified him. And this is the word that we are challenged to use. Treat your sin in the same way Jesus was treated. Crucified. Remove 
its powerful influence in your life. The flesh that you follow, those earthly responses, those sins that Paul lists for us, he says all those things that I just told you about right before the fruit of the Spirit, those things, he says take those things and treat them the same way the Roman soldiers treated the body of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take those things and crucify them. Remove their, their power from your life ruthlessly. Deal without mercy and restraint. Take your, your affections and your lusts and crucify them. Don't justify them. Don't go soft on it. Don't excuse your behaviors. Crucify it. Ruthlessly remove it from your life. And if we would do that, all of a sudden here we are with a clean slate now as we relate to each other in the church. I've removed the sin. And now he says, number two, be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to empty myself of these things, and I'm going to fill myself with the Spirit. Verse 25. Look there with me. He says, if we live in the Spirit, he says, let us walk also in the Spirit. In verse 16 and 17 of chapter 5, I want you to look there. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. So to the degree we obey the flesh, we're not obeying the Spirit. And to the degree that we obey the Spirit, we're not obeying the flesh. You can't go this way and this way at the same time. you got to choose. And he's saying, so crucify those and get rid of them and fill yourself with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, my children hate me using them as an illustration, so I won't use them. But there are times in parenting, another family, maybe you could relate, small children especially, where they have to be told what to do. My children are uh, hyper-intelligent. And so there are times when I tell them something to do or something not to do, and then they catch me and because I maybe misspoke or didn't spell it out exactly the way it was supposed to be, and they'll catch a loophole around what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that before, kids? <laughs> and, it, and so I have to look at them and I have to say something like this. Hey, I know I said this technically and I know you obeyed me technically, but I need you to understand my heart. I know you technically didn't disobey, but I need you to know what I meant. Like, like, try to understand what I'm working and communicate. Understand not just my words, but understand my heart. So, uh, a man's daughter goes off to youth camp. And so, the man and the wife would sit down with the daughter, if, if he had a daughter that went to youth camp, or daughters, okay. So, before youth camp, he would sit down and hypothetically say to them, um, you're the most precious things in my life. You know, I've raised you to this point, I've given you instruction. Um, you're going away, and I'm not there to tell you all the things to do and well, not to do, and, and the things you participate and not participate, in, the conversations you should have and not the conversations you shouldn't have, and the things you should say and not say, and how to treat other people. I'm not there to guide all that and, and, and be a sounding board for you for a week. So I want you to understand this. You've known me for your whole life. You've listened to me instruct you. So while you're away from me and I'm absent from your life, I want you to obey my heart. And I want you, and I could say it this way, I want you to, Sophia, and Catherine, and Ethan, and David, know my spirit. Follow my spirit. Okay. Jesus said, 
I'm going to leave you. Okay? I'm out. I'm going to come again. And I'm going to get that white horse too. I'm going to get that tan and that six foot two frame. All right? I'm, I'm there. I'm all in on that. Now I'll take the sword. All right? I want to be right by pastor. That'd be pretty cool. And right by many of you. He's coming back. But he's gone right now. And he says, I'll do one better than a daddy could do for his kids. I'll give you the presence of my Holy Spirit. No daddy can do that. And I'm here. And I'm going to guide you. But you have to yield to my will. That's what I'm asking my kids to do. Look, you turn 18, you get out of the house, you're on your own, you make your own decisions. I'm going to support you and love you and pray for you. But that's on you now. I did my part. But until then, understand and follow and yield to my spirit and my heart. That's what God's asking us to do here. Hey, you're his kids. This is his family. This is my church. You didn't buy it. I bought it. It's my blood. These are my people. These are my children. You treat them right. Yield to my spirit. Don't get so caught up in the technicalities of it. Understand my intent and understand my heart and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. And so Paul says this in verse 24, if you live in the spirit... If you're going to take, as pastor so eloquently put this morning, you're going to take the Holy Spirit. You're going to be sealed to the day of redemption. You're going to do those things. Then how about this? If you're going to live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. You can't not be saved, but you can be saved and still be living in the flesh. And you can be saved and not having crucified these things. And you can be saved and, and still living in the kingdom of this world and not building the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you're going to live in the Spirit and you're going to take advantage of my grace and my mercy and my salvation, then how about this? Walk in it too. Do the things that I've asked you to do. Yield to Him and His heart. Produce the fruit. Live. The idea is that of having a true life. This is not a life. This is. This is true life. Walk. The idea and the context is that of soldiers marching in a row. Literally, I am going to direct my life this way, this narrow path that Christ has asked me to, and I'm going this way. So I'm going to crucify this flesh. I'm going to fill myself with the Holy Spirit. And then number three, I'm going to treat each other, treat those in my church family in the right way. Look at verse 26 with me. He says, let us not be desirous of vainglory. Now here's the instruction specifics. Provoking one another and envying one another. Desirous of vainglory, it's one Greek word, and the idea is that of being conceited. A person who fancies that they know better than other people. Well, the pastor preached that, but I disagree. I know better than the teacher. You might. You really could. I'm not disparaging that. There are many people here that know a lot more about the Bible in certain areas than I do. But your spirit is wrong. You're conceited. You're full of yourself. And you're wrong for that. And that matters more. It's this feeling of superiority. And people who criticize other people. Well, I'm not conceited and I wouldn't do that. I, would, I, don't, I don't really think that way. No, but you'd cr- quickly criticize anyone and anything that takes place in this, in this church. Easily. Full of criticism. for other, Not grace, not mercy, not tenderness, not forgiveness, not love, not joy. Nope. Full of criticism. 
Not constructive, not trying to be helpful, not trying to help like the Bible instructs us to, not trying to, hey, I could help with that, or I could do something about that. No, it's just nasty, ugly, tearing down, and you're conceited, and you're desirous of vainglory. He says, don't do that. There's no place for that here. Take that conceit. Take that attitude. And nail that to the cross. And I'm going to ruthlessly eliminate that. And I'm going to fill myself with something else. Then he says this, provoke one another. He says, these people are just like poking at each other. The idea there is to deliberately make someone unhappy, annoyed, (laughs) or frustrated. It's acting in such a way to get a rise out of someone. We disagree over something. It, it, doctrinally or non-doc, non, not doctrinally related at all, just about the building or program or whatever. And we allow our anger and we allow our passion to overcome us. We use condescending tones. We use condescending looks. We ice that person out. And we're wrong for it. And he says you're provoking each other with your silent treatment. Your, your, your lack of gratitude and joy and love for one another. And he says, envying one another. We compare our life to other people, and if we're better than them, then we're happy. And if we come up short, well, now we're envious. So we aren't content with the per- position that the other person gets in the church. They get to sing the solo. They get the recognition. They always get the attention. We don't like that they have nicer possessions. We don't like that they have better job perks. We don't like that they're thinner than us. I don't like that they have more hair than me. That was a joke. I'm just throwing that out there. So the success of others makes us unhappy. And then we lead, it leads us to thinking ill of others. And when we start to think ill of someone, then we start to talk bad about them. And when we start to think ill of them, we talk bad about them to someone in our circle, and then we begin to treat them, directly or indirectly, in a poor and evil way. And Paul says, stop. Take that. Crucify that. Get that out of here. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and treat other people in a good, thoughtful, kind way. No one wins when you make other people your enemy. That kind of attitude and spirit is on becoming a child of God. And here's the direct application of the fruit of the Spirit. The relationships inside of the church. And so in chapter 5, verse 15, and I want you to read this with me. He says, but if ye bite and devour one another, you latch out, you're unkind, you're going to have a roast of some individual tonight on the way home from church, or tomorrow morning. He says, you bite and ye devour one another. Take heed. Why? You be careful that you be not consumed one of another. You're going to blow this place up. You're going to blow your life up. You're going to to blow your family up. You're going to hurt your children. You will hurt your grandchildren. But by the grace of God. So you take heed. Be careful with how you bite and devour in this place. Instead, we are to... Treat each other with the fruits of the Spirit, with love and tenderness and deference and joy and happiness 
peace and quietness, long-suffering and patience and gentleness and thoughtfulness, gratitude and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. But you're never going to get there if you don't walk in the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. You don't have it in you. That old man's still there. You're going to have to yield yourself to the Spirit of God. You're going to have to say, God, this is bigger than me. I can't be what you need me to be, so I yield myself to you. If you love the Lord, and I think in this place we do, then love the people in this church and love the people in your life. Treat each other the same way that Jesus has, that Jesus does, and that the way that Jesus always will treat you with that type of generosity and that type of tenderness. And so I want you to look at Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 7. He says this, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now we use these verses that I'm about to read all the time in a lot of applications, and that's okay. I use it with my kids. In fact, I'm pretty sure I use it this afternoon. <laughs> I think one of my children was being unkind to another child. And I said... If you treat other people this way, you're going to reap what you sow. Okay, now that's true. But again, I want you to remember, this is the context, direct application of relationships within the church. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, verse 7, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh <clears throat> shall of the flesh reap corruption. Okay, here's these sins that he's listed. You do these things. You let your natural inclinations take over. You treat people the way that's natural to you. You mark it down. It's coming back to you. You will be treated this way. These sins you're engaging in are coming back to your heart. You hurt, you will be hurt. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Okay, but here's the awesome part about this principle. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't get weary of treating people right. Don't get tired of it. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm good to them and they mistreat me. And I smile at her and she iced me in the hallway. And I've been kind to him and I've tried to reach out to this teenager and he won't come into our group and we've invited him in. Well, keep doing it. You'll reap if you faint not. You'll of the Spirit reap things that are even beyond the capacity of this life in, into life everlasting. There's eternal dividends here. And he says, and do we season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity... Let us do good unto all men. And then he's going to throw in his personal emphasis, the emphasis under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do good, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You can't trick God. You know, you might see a security camera somewhere, and it might, un you know, you might think, well, I wonder who's watching me, Right? God's always watching you. You can't trick Him. He sees what you think before it ever enters into your mouth. You can't mock Him. I hope He didn't hear that conversation. I hope He didn't hear the way I spoke about that person. I hope He didn't see that thought in my heart. He did. So fix it. You can't, you can't trick Him. You can't hide from Him. You can't deceive Him. 
What you sow, you will reap. You don't get to treat people however you want to treat them. None of us are that special. We treat people the way God instructs us to, and we yield to His Spirit. And if you treat people the way you want to treat them, you will be treated that way. But I'm going to ask you not to do that. And here's why. You might say, well, I, I don't mind hurting myself. I'm, you know, that's whatever. You're going to hurt people, other people around you. Nothing is isolated. And, 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 and so you speak ill of someone else in this church, it hurts other hearts. So if you care anything about the Lord in this place, protect the people in this place. We're going to aggravate each other. We're going to disagree with each other. Neglect's going to happen. You're going to get overlooked. Someone's going to step on your toes, intentionally, unintentionally. You be bigger. You understand the heart of God. You, you, you have to see the bigger picture. Don't seek my approval. Don't seek pastor's approval. Seek the approval of the Holy Spirit of God. He won't be mocked. He sees. And it's not just that he's ready to be punitive, because he's not. You're going to reap what you sow, and that's on you. He's ready to bless. He's ready to give you a good and happy and support and loving-filled life. So if God's concerned about the relationships in the church, then we need to be as well. And we need to give our very best efforts to doing good unto all men, especially those who are the household of faith. And take these fruits of the Spirit and say, God, through your Holy Spirit, I'm going to exercise these things right here at Eastland Baptist Church with the people that you've given me to worship you with.